gosh, I, I forgot I even had that in my pack. That's a crazy sport, man. If Joe flicked my ear, I'd probably conk him in the forehead. Welcome, everybody, to Kafaru Cast. It's bright and early Monday morning. I've got Frank the Tank across from me who has brand new eyeballs with 2015 vision, you <laughs> son of a bitch. Yeah. <laughs> We've got uh, the great Bear Handlin on the podcast, uh, owner or found, I guess co founder of Born Primitive. Uh, Born Primitive uh, is an amazing, I've just gotten introduced to him in the last year. Uh, real big into CrossFit, kind of athleisure, athletic clothing, uh, veteran owned and operated. And uh, they do a ton of, of uh, veteran donations. They just had, uh, you know, donated 75, all profits uh, on a weekend sale, basically to, to four different veteran, um, I guess, organizations. And uh, I can't say enough about them, Bear. I mean, it's an honor. Thank you for coming on. Heck yeah, guys. I appreciate you having me. Yeah, no, no problem at all. I encourage anybody before I kick off Bear to kind of tell, uh, tell us about himself. Check out Born Primitive, again, veteran-owned and operated, and what they do for, for the veteran community as well as the, you know, the, the CrossFit and, and athletic community. Great people. And um, you're, you're in the military, and uh, you, you also played uh, football for Yale. Linebacker? You're a big bastard. I, yep. I do know that. Um, <laughs> yeah, yeah, that was, uh, that was a different lifetime ago. But, yeah, I, I played uh, middle backer at Yale for four years. Gotcha. Um, so, uh, well, how old are you now? I am 33. Dang. You fuckers. Uh, Frank's 33 <laughs> as well. I'm old. Um, so uh, you kind of like with, uh, you know, with, with Born Primitive for people, we have a lot of, cro- we have a big CrossFit following. Um, when you, when, you know, like you said, different lifetime when you were at Yale playing football. Um, and, you know, when you, you, you joined the military, at what point in time um, did you like, you know, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to start a CrossFit clothing company. Was that... <laughs> How did you just wake up after a drunken stupor or was that like a plan or what, how'd that come about? Yeah, honestly, it was kind of a, a little bit of a fluke. Um, so ironically, uh, so I, I graduated college. I went and worked for Red Bull. I was doing marketing for them. I knew I wanted to go in the military. Um, but, uh, I was kind of doing that just to, just to kind of keep me busy while I kind of physically prepared for going into the military. Um, and I had just come off of one failed business. Um, I've kind of been an entrepreneur my whole life. Um, it was a complete, complete flop. I learned a lot from it though. And I was doing, I started to do CrossFit just purely to get ready for the military. I kind of, I knew nothing about it. I walked into a CrossFit gym one day and kind of looked around. I was like, yeah, this is where I need to be. Um, and, uh, you know, cause I was a big, like meathead football player. I wasn't, you know, I, I could run 40 yards fast, but after that, you know, you probably give me an oxygen tank. Um, and obviously the, <laughs> the military training is a little bit different. So kind of had to flip that on its head and, and start training. Um, and then that's how I got into CrossFit. Um, and then Born Primitive started basically, um, because I came up with a custom pair of compression shorts, uh, kind of by a fluke, um, for, for people that do some heavy, like Olympic lifting. And I was, when we were doing snatch, I kept banging my pubic bone, uh, on like the transition part of the lift. Um, so I ended up taking an old football girdle and stitching like the quad pad into like the <laughs> freaking area um and uh just for i just wanted one because i was just gonna wear it myself and that was it um so i had my neighbor who was a seamstress stitch it in and i would then wear it to the gym and it was kind of a joke but it actually worked like really well and the guys were like finally hey man you you should market that because like that a lot of dudes would buy that um and i i didn't think anything of it but then i started doing some research and realizing that there were actually guys that were like 
you know, professional Olympic weightlifters that were, you know, fracturing their pubic bone and, and just hitting it really hard, you know, in competition. So long story short, um, I figured out how to make it. Um, you know, we, we threw in an order of like 200 pairs, which is like the bare minimum we could order. And we sold through it like almost immediately. Um, and that was how born primitive was born. Um, and then, uh, kind of quickly realized that, all right, well, this is a pair of compression shorts, you know, that you're going to plateau real quick. Cause you know, you know, if you're just doing that, so we, we decided let's, let's actually create a brand. Cause that gives us, you know, we can go, you know, we can do anything if it's just a brand, you know, whether it's fitness apparel or leisure or whatever it is, um, in time, you know, we'll be able to expand so much more off of that. So yeah, that's how it all started. Kind of a fluke thing. Um, and it was, it was right as I was going into the military. So terrible timing on my part. Um, absolute nightmare to try to launch a business as you're going to, you know, officer candidate school or boot camp or whatever it is, because you're obviously kind of out of commission for a little while. So that was a, that was a whole nother story. Yeah. And Frank has broke his pubic bone and coxes twice. <laughs> Actually that, <laughs> that padded uh, short sounds pretty good for the bulge you know, when you're working out. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah that too. Uh, so, you know, I kind of jumping ahead. I don't want to jump too far ahead, but uh, you, Frank and I are in a position as well as, as you are that we can, uh, design by need, uh, which is what you did. And with this, obviously we do backpacks and everything else, but, uh, one of the things that, you know, you and I have talked about as, as well as some of our friends about, you know, some of the niches, you know, missing in the outdoor world as well as, is, is tactically. And obviously the, the CrossFit, uh, thing you've got, you, you guys are crushing it pretty well on that. Um, is there... I know with the conversations we've had, um, you know, outdoor gear or, or just when I say that, not necessarily just hunting, there's certain things that I, you know, we don't do clothing and, uh, you know, here at Kafaro we have a puffy jacket, but, um, like the, the design by need mentality, does that, does that turn your crank? I mean, does that happen a lot on the tactical side as well as, you know, obviously, you know, it does talking to me on the outdoor side, do you see holes with, uh, you know, different layering systems, things like that, uh, with what you do? Yeah, a hundred percent. Um, you know, we, we definitely get some good gear, but I think it's hit or miss. Um, and, and I think, you know, this could probably be for a whole nother podcast and I'm not super savvy on it, but I think a lot of it has to do with government contracting and, and how it has to be sourced. Um, kind of the, the restrictions that are put on it, it's just how they get bids and like lowest bidder and, you know, and, and how they award vendors and all these things that, sometimes when you end up getting your load out, it's like, it's not the best on the market. Um, which for some stuff is probably okay, but for stuff that, you know, you're going to be in the field and you really need to have good shit, um, uh, that becomes an issue. So I, I know, you know, guys just are, are bitching about that all the time. Um, and so, yeah, I mean, I think, um, the best way to do it is obviously to rely on people who wear it for a living and are, are using it all the time, uh, make sure it's pressure tested. And then, you know, identifying specific features that you have issues with on kind of existing gear. And it's like, all right, well, how do we break this down and improve it and, uh, and make it that much better. And obviously, you know, that comes down to fit and fabric selection and just, you know, little features like the different zippers you put on the pockets or whether you're using Velcro and, um, you know, all, all these little nuances that unless you're wearing them every day, you won't even notice. Um, but for the people that actually use it, you go oh, right on, like they, they thought this through. Um, so it's, it's a little bit of, you know, of a headache when, when you, you know, throw those pants on for the first time and you're just like, you shake your head and you're like, all right, who designed this? Because clearly they don't, um, 
they're never going to wear these for a living. You know what I mean? So well, it's coming out of my mouth where Frank, you've probably heard it where I'm like, what fucking college kid designed this shit? Cause he never was in the <laughs> field before. Um, and not, not all the time, but sometimes. And one of the things talking with like kind of our circle of, you know, friends and, you know, in the last couple of months, you know, tactically you guys love Velcro. It seems like, and hunting, we fucking hate it. It's loud. Um, like on, on, uh, Cargo pockets, let's say. Like, I have a, a set of um, these Duluth Trading Company, I think they're called Firehose Pants. Not an outdoor pant, right? Just a, a work pant, everyday pant. And uh, can you hear that? Everything is, like, you can't kill anything when you got Velcro on. And so, you know, hunting to, to the tactical side, um, there is a lot of cross-pollination, but there's also a lot of, uh, of, of differences. And so... Um, some of the things that you guys have to deal with from like body armor, you know, the different kit that you have on, um, we, we, we also obviously have to wear like a chest rig, which is for binoculars, but you know, they don't really, I mean, companies have tried to, I guess you could say cross pollinate the two. And it's kind of, I mean, I don't need a C4 pocket on my calf muscle unless it's to put my cope. Copenhagen in. I don't need a pocket down there. Cause it's just, a, it gets hung up on shit and tears off. And so it, it can work, but I, I would say it, it wouldn't work as well as focusing on, you know, the, focusing on each of them, but in two separate fields. Do you think you can, I mean, with your experience, I guess, could you do, you know, you're more of a tactical guy than a, than a, than a hunter, but you're, you, you know, you, you get out there. Could you do both at one time or do you think it'd have to be two separate avenues? Well, I think you got to be realistic with with your knowledge, right? Like if, if you're not a true subject matter expert in something, um, you got to find the subject matter experts to, um, to help you with it. And, and I think you got to be brutally honest, like as you make new gear, all right, would I wear this? And, and if I were to, you know, spend a couple hundred bucks on this and buy it from like another vendor, would I be stoked to have it? Um, so, you know, I think on the, on the, on the military side, you know, we, we definitely have, you know, enough knowledge to, to kind of break that down and, um, you know, that's something we're working on, you know, as we speak. Um, but then on the outdoor side, it's like, you know, I think we know enough to be dangerous, but to, to kind of get that final 10%, you know what I mean? Where, where you really nail it with the features, you know, that would, you know, be something, um, you got to have someone who's spending all kinds of time in the field, um, wearing it and pressure testing it. Um, is, you know, we, we of course spend a good amount of time, but we're not, you know, we're not out there 200 plus days out of the year. Yeah, yeah, which I mean, is, and that's, 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 that's what you need. Yeah, and that's kind of obviously how we met, you guys picking my brain on. You know, and, and, and you bring up a good point. I was in the Army, but I'm not, I, I mean, I say all the time, like, to, to our designer, Bender, like, dude, I don't fucking know what I'm doing anymore. Like, call these guys. Like, they're the professionals because, one, you know, long time ago, I was in a line unit. Uh, that's a big difference compared to, you know, more of the type categories. Uh, those guys, you know, they, they, they are much more in depth to the most high speed shit, the most current training. Um, yeah, I can fire a weapon after that. I, I'm not the guy, but you know, some of the questions you were asking me, um, you know, as well as your crew are definitely more on the, the hunting side. So yeah, I mean, I, it, it is, it is handy having, you know, you got, uh, you know, four big brains and each brain kind of caters to different things. I mean, even with, with what, uh, some of the stuff you guys do, um, you know, clearing rooms or mountain team. I mean, you guys got, all, I mean, <clears throat> a, um, a finite amount of military guys need, let's say, an 8,000 cubic inch ruck. That would be more of a mountain team. But you're not going to wear that pack when you 
clear a building. And again, I'm talking out of my wheelhouse here, but you're not going to wear a big fucking pack clearing a building. It's no different hunting. You're not going to wear an 8,000 cubic inch pack in a tree stand or spot and stock. And so there's certain things applicable for everything you do. And if you have a guy that's designing tactical shit that's a hunter, you're probably going to end up with some fucked up products. And that's just how it is. And vice versa. <laughs> exactly. So rewinding a little bit, we kind of jumped ahead there. Uh, Yale football. Uh, we, we have a big, I don't personally watch football a whole lot. Um, were you a high school athlete star, football star? I mean, tell us a little bit about yourself. Is, is, tell us your stats, because you are one big motherfucker, by the way. Like, uh, <laughs> tell us your current stats. No, no, I've withered down a little bit. I'm, I'm about 6'2", uh, six, six, two, 235. So, oh, tiny. Uh, but, yeah, we, we, there's definitely a little room to, to, to beef that up a little bit. But, uh, but, yeah, I'm a Midwest guy. You know, grew up in Indiana. Um, you know, went to a public high school in Indiana. Um, you know, played football and, and baseball. Um, and yeah, you know, football. Um, you know, progressed. I think my sophomore year, I was six foot one, one hundred and twenty pounds. Um, and by the time my senior year, I, I fortunately found the weight room. I, I was you know like six two, two oh five. So I definitely uh, went from like a little string bean to just you know kind of a a, a better sized high school kid. Um, yeah, football went well. I had the opportunity to start getting recruited um, and uh, was able to, you know, go out on the East Coast for school. Um, you know, definitely kind of a freaking fish out of water uh, from like a, you know, kind of Midwest patriotic, you know, red-blooded kid that, you know, then goes to like this elite Ivy League school with a bunch of people that went to private school spending 60 k a year, you know, since like sixth grade. Definitely that was a little different. Um, but, but really good experience, you know, especially like the guys on the football team and, and a lot of the other athletes, like just a bunch of really good dudes and really, really talented people that I kind of got exposed to. Um, and then, uh, yeah, I did that for four years, had a blast. Um, and, uh, you know, then, like I said, when it went and worked for Red Bull and, um, did that for a few years and then realized I kind of want to have a little bit more purpose. Um, and, uh, you know, decided to go do the military route. You totally skipped over if you were like a high school athlete star, how'd you do in high school? Was it? I mean, when I say that, uh, you know, first team all state, first team all conference. I mean, were you, did you stand out to a certain degree? You know, playing football in high school. I mean, obviously, you must have been pretty damn good. You played for Yale, so yeah, yeah. I was, you know, I was lucky. I, I, um, I you know, yeah, first team all state, Indiana all star. You know, all that good stuff. Um, you know, I guess it, it's kind of overlooked because if, if you kind of get to the D one level, that's pretty much implied. Like you kind of have to have that um, prereq. Um, but yeah, no, I, like I said, I, I was just a little string bean my sophomore year and, and was fortunate enough to, to have some good mentors that got me in the weight room and, um, you know, taught me the game. Um, and so, yeah, the, the, you know, fortunate to, to, you know, start getting recruited. I think, you know, early on, it wasn't even, you know, a possibility in my mind. And then little by little kind of started becoming more realistic and decided to go for it. So you weren't like uncle Rico. <laughs> on, uh, like, like a what? <laughs> uncle Rico. You never seen Napoleon Dynamite? No, I haven't seen it. Are you fuck? Are you are you communist? You said you were patriotic. How could you have not watched? Okay, that's on your homework. You got to watch right, Napoleon I Dynamite. I'll, I'll do it this weekend. Totally screwed my joke up. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> um, <laughs> so, um, it, what transitioning from from high school to like what what? How big were you when you when you got out of high school? Um, and then how much mass did you put on once you got into college and? Was that genetics or was that also, like you said, you know, found some mentors? Um, you know, we get a lot of, we get a lot of fitness guys. Do you know who, like Matt Chan, he's a local here. He's been on the podcast yeah, yeah. before. Yeah, um, no, Matt. Yeah, super cool dude. 
you know, we get, I'm not a diet fitness coach by any stretch, um, but we do get a lot of questions. We try to get professionals on here. I, I would say you have a pretty good idea how to pack on mass. Um, how much were you, I guess, were your eyes open to, I guess, professional training or, or when you went to Yale, um, you know, some of the different specialists they had there, strength and fitness coach, things like that. Like, did, uh, would you, was some of that genetic or was, was a lot of it just the programs they had uh, once you got to Yale as far as just packing on mass speed, things like that? Yeah, I mean, I think most college athletes, especially football players, like when they get there, you know, you kind of show up like a boy and they turn you into a man pretty quick. Like a lot of times you'll see a, from a freshman to sophomore year in college, like they, you know, guys put on a ton of weight. They come back looking totally different, especially when you'll get with like linemen. A lot of linemen will be recruited, you know, they're like maybe 230 in high school, which, you know, depending on the level they're playing in high school, that could be a big lineman. Um, but, you know, they're 290 by the time they come back for their sophomore year because they recruited them on potential. You know, maybe a guy's a 6'6", 230, and they're like, okay, we know we can put 70 pounds on this guy in one year, so we're going to give him an offer. Um, and then we're going to mold him into being, a, you know, just a big monster. Um, so, you know, same approach. Um, you know, skill position's a little different because obviously, you know, if you're coming in, you're a cornerback, and you're like 180, like, they don't want you up to 220, but me being a linebacker, um, I was, I was like 205 and they actually wanted me to play strong safety, um, which I had never played before. And kind of, I, I, I'm like, yeah, I'm, I'm a linebacker. I'm not, I'm not playing in the freaking secondary. I'm not backpedaling. Um, so they try to put me there and I realized I was there. I need to eat my way back to linebacker. So by the time I came back for Thanksgiving break, uh, in college, I was already 230. Um, so it took, you know, it took me a few months. Um, you know, with the, the strength coach and, you know, the, obviously at the dining hall, it's all you can eat. So it was just pasta and tuna and three glasses of milk and, you know, obviously at breakfast, like freaking 10 hard boiled eggs and just eating like an absolute tank. Um, so nothing, nothing fancy, you know, it wasn't this like well-balanced training table meal or anything like that. It was just you eat as much as you can and hit the weights. Um, and then they had no choice but to move me down to linebacker again because, you know, no, 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 no one's saying, you know, safety at 235. Or they could, but but not you know they'd have to be a much better athlete than me. It, it, it kind of touching on that, and I don't want to be Uncle Rico either. Um, when I uh, uh, had played and looked at you know I had been recruited, or I I went to uh, a well known uh, college in Oregon and uh, was like mother fucking Christ, I'm gonna have to gain weight to play punter. This is a whole. And I was a big kid. I was six one and two thirty. But you really realize, in my case, how much of an athlete you thought you were. And what an athlete you need to turn, you know, you need to, you need to become at that level. And so you sound like you went to two thirty as a freshman. Did you kind of, uh, with some of that fat and then you turn it into muscle by your sophomore year? Um, and then what, what did you come out at as a senior? Uh, so, you know, I, I think it was pretty solid. You know, we were just lifting like crazy. The great thing is a freshman, you know, you're not getting much time playing time yet. You know, at least most aren't. So, you don't really have to worry about like, you know, the, 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 week, you know, practice schedule and the, and the strength coach is actually really good about that. Cause he's like, Hey, I don't give a shit that you guys have practice at three o'clock today. Like we're doing freaking 10 by 10 squats. And if you can't run today and when we're doing gases at the end, like I don't care because you're a freshman. So that was kind of cool that we kind of had an off season training mindset, even in season. Um, and that, that allowed us to, you know, to all, you know, beef up. Um, and then obviously like, you know, little things like, you know, you'd have mandatory protein shakes when you would leave the weight room and you make sure you get, you know, three to one carbs to, uh, you know, protein ratio and all that stuff. They kind of educate you on right away that you're, you're nothing about. 
Um, so those things are all kind of getting taken care of. But I think by the time my senior year, I think the biggest I played was like uh, about 250, probably like 248, um, which you know definitely helps. You know, you notice that when you're freaking banging around with the, the, the big uglies up front. Um, but it's a balance, right? Because then you, you might have to, you know, cover down on a slot receiver, you know, on a blitz package and you, you got to man this guy up and you're like, shit, this dude's like five, eight, one eighty five, And you know what I mean? <laughs> I'm 248. Uh, so you got to kind of, you know, just decide what kind of player you want to be and, and, and kind of build to that. Um, I, I kind of erred on the side of being a little bit bigger just cause I like to bang around, but, but you know, there's guys that play at two twenty, two fifteen that, that still kill it. So it just depends. Gotcha. So, um, you talked a little bit, um, you're talking about, you know, four, you could run 40 yards. What, what, uh, what was your fastest 40 time? My fastest was four, six. Um, but I always dispute it or not. I mean, I always, I always caveat it that when we had to run it, we had a thumb pad start time and then a laser finish. So a lot of, a lot of schools will just have a laser finish and they start on your movement where, our strength coach wanted us to have this stupid thumb pad. So, you know, as soon as literally your thumb came off at the first millisecond that that clock started, where typically they would react to your movement, which, you know, as you know, like human reaction is, is, you know, at least like a 10, right? Yeah. Um, so I, I was, I was decently fast, but I'm not, not one of these dudes that was, that was burning like a four or five at like 250. Um, I, I was, I would say I had, I had decent athleticism, but a lot of it was just, you know, I had to work for it. Gotcha. That's still pretty, pretty quick. Um, and, uh, I, I, as far like, um, with, with what you do currently, obviously, and what, what we do, um, I think that gets brought up a lot. Frank, you can dive into that. A lot of people maybe put, you know, too much, uh, one thing in the outdoor community, of course, in any community, there's always people bitching about something, um, or talking shit or whatever, but that maybe there's too much focus on fitness. Um, you know, you hear a lot of guys talk a lot of shit about that. And I think you know, some of that comes from, um, you know, maybe that that's all they post about or whatever, but I, you know, with what we do, you don't have to be at, you know, peak fitness, but I would say I never came off the mountain saying, shit, I wish I was, it wasn't in as good a shape as I'm in. I've definitely come off the mountain saying, holy fucking shit, that kicked my ass. Um, one of the, I would say that, um, one of the things, you know, diet nutrition's a big one. Some of that's genetic. You can get away with a little bit more. Um, I think one of the reasons, you know, about to turn 45, that I'm not a fat ass because I am a recovering fat kid that, you know, I stay fairly fit. It, it's just nutrition and diet. You know, we eat, you know, kind of organic, um, you know, from obviously we killed a bunch of stuff. So, you know, we're all eating wild game. Don't eat a lot of processed stuff. And Frank, you've kind of taken it to a, you know, another level, I guess you pre pre make your meals and, and, and Frank, what is last kind of went full, full on Donkey Kong in the last, what, two years, probably would you say? Well, yeah, I just, I think that there's a lot of crossover between, um, stuff like, I guess you could say CrossFit or like type of functional fitness in, in the hunting world that like Aaron's saying, um, you know, it's, uh, it kind of goes hand in hand. And I, I think an eye opener for me was when we had, uh, Jess, Jess and her husband here from defiance health. And when she said that there's a difference of between getting in shape and just staying in shape. Um, and <clears throat> yeah, I, I mean, I definitely saw that I was lacking in strength and, and conditioning and stuff for, for these longer mountain hunts. And I'd rather, I'd rather stay in shape instead of having to get in shape at a last minute for, for some of these backpack hunts. But um, one thing I was curious um, with for, for bears, what, what is your, your training 
regimen look like now and, and your diet compared to when you were a college athlete? You said a lot of stuff has changed since then. Um, are you still kind of following a, a kind of a strict diet or trying to just stay balanced? If you're not, I'm going to be pissed because yeah. you have like an eight pack, you dick. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I'm definitely like, uh, you know, not the guy that's, that's, you know, ordering a salad at dinner. You know, I'm still getting the bacon, cheeseburger and fries and a couple beers, but I think it's balanced, right? I try to keep it pretty dialed during the week. Um, and, uh, and then, you know, the weekends kind of let loose a little bit. Um, but, uh, shit, can you repeat the question? Um, I'll repeat just, it. Go, go ahead. Basically, what's your, uh, what's your training <laughs> regimen look like now compared oh, to when you were college? He's thinking of bacon cheeseburgers. Yeah, you got all fucked up. <laughs> I got, I got sucked in on bacon cheeseburgers and beers and I, I lost my train of thought. Which happened. <laughs> um, but I would say right now I, I it's a hybrid, you know, I, I kind of take, you know, kind of the training methodologies from college, you know, kind of like explosive movements, like hang cleans and obviously like squats and deadlifts and things like that. Um, and then mold it with my CrossFit background as well. So, so typically I'll do strength stuff in the beginning. Um, and then I'll do some type of conditioning at the end because I feel like, um, you know, that you, you gotta be able to sustain it. Right. And, and you guys know that. Um, so if, if you're just super strong and you're just a big meathead, like, you know, okay, well, if you're going to be out of breath after 40 seconds of anything, then like, what's the point? So I don't, it doesn't matter if you can squat 500 pounds, if you can't squat 500 pounds after, you know, 45 seconds of, of intense activity. Right. So I, I look at it that way. Um, and, uh, and, you know, so, so essentially just, you know, that hybrid of, of, of strength, but, but CrossFit and that's actually, you know, I got into CrossFit, you know, trying to, to get ready for the military, you know, because I knew, you know, how, how, how much it worked. Um, you know, I, I know people love to bash CrossFit and they say it's like a cold and I totally, you know, kind of see a lot of that, but at the same time, if you actually do it and, and you, you do it the right way, it can, it can do wonders for people. And, um, I, I actually, by a total fluke was, was able to get out and compete at the CrossFit games, um, with the gym I joined, um, because it was going so well. Um, so, you know, I, I kind of drank the Kool-Aid real quick and, um, yeah, so, so, so currently that's just kind of what I do. It's just, yeah, I kind of, I kind of make it up on the fly. Um, and I just, you know, think of something and, and just go for it. I've been one of those guys that's poked fun of CrossFit and then I built my gym in my basement. And I think Frank, you said, looks just like a CrossFit gym. It ended you up asshole. being a CrossFit yeah. gym. <laughs> so, yeah. I, I, you know, the there big, you go. Before I, you knew it, you were, you were doing CrossFit. You didn't even realize. Yeah, no, exactly. Actually, I, I actually send a ton of people to CrossFit gyms because you, you have to have, um, a certain amount of dedication and knowledge to have a home gym and, and, uh, it actually get, um, I don't know how to put this, but if you don't have a background in, in muscle and fitness somewhat, you really don't know when you need like altering things like you talked about, like mountain hunting. I was the, the, the dickhead, you know, deadlifting six, 700 pounds, squatting five, six and trying to, you know, bench over five and couldn't make it 40 yards up a hill. And then now my, my routine has changed, you know, dramatically. The one thing I, I try to stress to people, um, you know, it's do the, the movements right. I think that's probably, and I mean, you guys can chime in on this when I hear about different injuries from CrossFit. It, it seems to be, not always, but it seems to be they may be not doing the exercises, you know, more or less correctly um, or kind of dove into a little bit more weight than they probably should have out of the gate. And that's any lifting. Um, but I, shoulders, that seems to be the big one with CrossFit is uh, potentially shoulder issues. Would you guys agree or disagree on that? Yeah, I mean, I think there's like the uh, the blessing and the curse of how CrossFit runs it. You know, they're they're super like libertarian, and the barrier to entry is like so low. And unfortunately, what that leads to, from what I've seen, because 
you know, I, I travel, you know, across the country for, for the military stuff. And, and I'd always drop into, you know, CrossFit gyms or wherever we went so I could keep my training. So I, I think I probably dropped into probably a hundred CrossFit gyms at this point. So I've seen firsthand the variance and quality of product that you get from like one coach to the next or one gym to the next. Um, and that's because in theory they can pretty much, you know, take a weekend class and get certified. And before you know it, you might have someone that has very little like elite athletic background, you know, training a movement standard, um, and then, you know, kind of just letting people come in with very little experience as well. And then, you know, that we have someone training someone that has little experience and then you end up doing these high intensity workouts where, you know, people's movement standards are compromised and yeah, then they get shoulder issues or back issues or all these other things. And I think that's what kind of gives it a bad name. Um, but then you'll find the, the coaches that are really good and they break down the movement. And if someone doesn't have the standard, they'll, they'll scale it and have them do something else. Um, you know, maybe a, a lower impact uh, version of it. So, um, yeah, it's, it, it's kind of all across the board. Yeah. I think, um, kind of like, like going over to Luke's gym, like an MMA gym or a boxing gym, you kind of have to leave the ego at the door because, uh, if, especially if you've got a, a competitive, uh, mindset, you kind of want to try to keep up with some of these elite guys that have been doing it for a long time. And that's where I've seen the injuries is. Because Which is why I will not go to a CrossFit gym now because I hate to lose and I will fuck myself up quick. Yeah, yeah. So that's that's where I've seen a lot of stuff happen. But yeah, to to Bear's point, I think coaching goes a, a very long way. Um, so. Well, and Craig, Frank, well, you go to Lakewood <clears throat> CrossFit, correct? CrossFit Lakewood, yeah. Yeah, CrossFit Lakewood, and they're they're not too far from now. So honestly, I would probably um, go there. I would have to. I'm getting a little bit older and have some injuries. I'd probably modify it. But I think the the bottom line one with CrossFit, the Colt. Uh, which it is kind of a cult, but that cult keeps your ass going. And you see a lot of that. Uh, and, and Bear, I'm sure you've seen it. Um, you know, either from people like extremely overweight that, okay, tomorrow I'm starting and I'm going to cut all my carbs and I'm going to, and it's, it's just a, a crisis, right? Like it's not going to pan out for more than a week or two. Like that January 1st, uh, you know, new year, new me, and the, the, the gym is packed and you're like, okay. All the people that actually normally go kind of skip January and hide to where all the people kind of weed out that, that are going to, you know, become fit. That The CrossFit community is very um, supportive, I would, it seems like, and, and keeps people coming back. And, and um, it, I, I, I don't talk shit about it like I used to. And I never talked shit. I would just talk shit about the cult, I guess. Um, it, it's, it's a welcoming cult, though. Would you, would you guys agree with that? Yeah, no, I, I think it definitely is. Um, and there is that encouragement across the board. I think the cool thing is like at the end of the day, you could have a super elite athlete that's, you know, throwing 225 up on clean and jerks for, you know, high volume. And then you have like the six year old lady who has like five on each side that's doing the same workout, um, but a scaled version. Um, the, the, the stimulus for each of those athletes is the same, right? Um, you know, she's getting challenged just as much as he is. Um, and that, that's a, what I think that the community component is cool, right? So, you know, everyone is cheering that person on and, and, and everything at the end of the class, everyone's kind of sweating it out and just, you know, high-fiving and stuff. So I definitely think that that is kind of the secret sauce with CrossFit um, that, that kind of gets people coming back because then there, there's a social component when you go to the gym, right? Because it's people that you, you know, you're friends with and you look forward to seeing at the end of your work day or maybe it's that 6 a.m. class, you know, kind of kick the day off. So I think that's kind of what sets it apart than going to that conventional gym and, throwing your headphones on and freaking getting in your zone and, you know, not talking to anyone, and, you know what I mean? Just hit the squat rack or whatever you're doing. It's, it's way different. I, th I think the one, the, and it, it, it does seem way different. I'd say the one probably, you know, parallel is, um, 
uh, you know, the, the difference is, you know, a lot of guys when they first get in the gym, like, I, I don't know how many times I've been asked even recently, what do you bench? Which really does not matter. It's more of a penis size thing, I would say to me. <laughs> yeah, like, I, I know some guys that, um, you know, can bench um, some pretty astronomical, you know, I mean, five, five fifty plus that are really not great athletes. Um, and my views on this have changed greatly because I was one of those guys that I could I could give a shit how many pull-ups I could do. But, you know, I wanted to deadlift 800. I wanted to bench press over five, and I wanted to squat over seven. Now, I couldn't do a pull-up or 27 push. You know, there's just certain – I wasn't an athlete. I was just strong. It is nice, uh, and I will say, you know, in the closet I do copy CrossFit workouts, parts of them when, in my basement gym. <laughs> um, the the <laughs> wad, right, the workout of the day. Um, yep. You know, it's a it's it parallels because you have a goal, but the dynamic with CrossFit makes you a better athlete. Um, I would say all around, meaning you're not just some giant meathead. You you have some cardiovascular skill set behind you. Um, what's that saying? You can't flex cardio. <laughs> yeah. It's still pretty fucking important if you can't flex it. So, you, uh, good cardio, good longevity. Um, and I would say if guys are worried about their shoulders um, or maybe certain workouts, and and this would be something both you guys can touch on. You can always just skip a specific exercise fairly, you know, just walk away from that one, um, you know, and, and if you're worried about injury, and that's one of the things that, you know, I have to do with certain things that going on shoulders or whatever, there's just certain exercise I have to do a lot lighter weight or just, you know, skip totally, but it seems like CrossFit gyms are pretty welcoming to the fact of, yeah, just don't do, you know, skip that one and do these other ones, and you're still getting a really good workout. Is that true? Yeah, absolutely. And I think that just comes down to having a little bit of humility, right? Like, unless you are, you know, an elite, elite athlete, you know, especially for the people competing as professionals in CrossFit, like, is it really going to matter if, you know, maybe you don't do thrusters and you do freaking air squats instead, you know, for that movement? Like, no, you, you're still going to get a good workout. You're still going to leave there in, in better condition than you, than, you, than you showed up. So, but I think that's what it comes down to. Unfortunately, like you said, Aaron, like not everyone's not everyone is smart enough to do that. And especially when you get egos in the mix and there's another dude next to you doing the same thing. And you know what I mean? You want to keep up with him. Um, that, that's how people get hurt. So I think they just have to use some discretion. Um, and, and don't, don't be afraid to scale it. I mean, I scale shit all the time because I'm just like, oh, I don't want to do that. It's gonna, that's that's going to freaking jack my shoulder up. Somebody this instead, you know? So, so, um, transferring off of, um, you know, working out in CrossFit a little bit on, you know, but uh, along lines with, uh, the, the born primitive, the, the line, um, what, um, is that, uh, with what you guys offer and, and obviously I encourage everybody to go check it out. I have a ton of your, even your, your hoodies are my favorite hoodies. Um, how much are you having to get involved now that obviously one of the owners or founders of born primitive, are you going to a lot of the different CrossFit events? Um, are you, some of your designs kind of molded by what you're watching and seeing, um, is it by some of your athletes telling you what you want? Um, and I mean, how much are you having to travel, I guess, as a whole to these events for, you know, for the company? Yeah, I mean, I think it's a little bit everything, you know, we, we kind of started, um, you know, the good thing was we were participating in it directly. So like I was designing it by necessity myself as if like my, my threshold was, Hey, would I wear this? And if the answer is yes, you know what I mean? Then, then we're good to go. Um, and as we've evolved, you know, getting additional kind of subject matter experts in the mix, like, you know, we have, um, our athletes are designing apparel with us now, which is super cool. Cause they're, you know, they're the elite, you know, top 0.1% in the sport, you know, work out five times a day, six days a week sort of thing. Um, so we've kind of taken it to the next level, uh, where, where it's, 
you know, very pressure tested now. Um, and, uh, and then, you know, for as far as traveling around, we, you know, we, we definitely try to get out to at least five or six events every year. So we, you know, go across the games, we go to Wadapalooza, we went to Rogue this year. Um, and, uh, you know, get out on the road, get in front of people. Um, and that's kind of, that's kind of how we started, you know, started off just packing up the Jeep and throwing a freaking card table in there and driving all over town, you know, every weekend going across it and just little tiny little CrossFit events. So it's, it's kind of in the roots of the brand to get out there, but. Um, but yeah, you know, we'd like to think that, that for our, our fitness apparel, it's all, um, designed by need. Um, and I think that's part of the reason why we've had some success because it's like, if it, if it won't pass the sniff test for us, like if we won't wear it, then it's like, why would we even put our name on this? Um, and I think over time that's, that's helped us out. Gotcha. Who, who are some of your top athletes? Uh, we got, um, Bethany Shadburn. Um, we got, you know, Danny Spiegel, we got Allison Scuds. We got, um, you put me on the spot here. Uh, Scott Panchek, uh, on, on the guy's side. Um, I, I'm going to, I'm hopefully I'm not, oh, we, we got, uh, Camille, um, she was a 2014 CrossFit Games champ. Um, and, and her husband, Dave, who's a big bodybuilder. He's freaking, he's a riot. Uh, runs the, the Thunder Bros uh, program, which is a pretty, pretty sweet thing. Um, I, I'd say they're kind of, those are our top athletes right now. And, um, you know, we're, we're in talks with a few more, so we'll see if the new year brings a few additional athletes into the portfolio. And then I think the next move is, you know, where can we expand outside of CrossFit? You know, what are, what are some other athletes we can work with, um, you know, in other sports or in other industries, like we talked about with, you know, like hunting and outdoors or, or military stuff. So, um, you know, we've, we've done well in, in the vertical of CrossFit, but I think it's, it's time you're going to start seeing us kind of branch out. Um, but doing it in a way where you got to do it with credibility, right? You actually have to, I think, participate in you know, the things you're doing. Otherwise, like the, everyone's going to know, okay, they're, they're an outsider. They don't fit in here and you'll get rejected. So, um, I think it's a, you know, kind of a nuanced thing about how you come into a new vertical, like and actually um, do it with some credibility and be accepted by the people that you're coming in with, you know? Yeah. And I think obviously with some of the things that, that you've, you, you know, you and your crew have talked to me about as, as well as Frank and yeah, it, it's nice because, um, yeah, in reverse as well, obviously tactically we, we, we design backpacks. Well, we, we don't have any pipe hitters here to, uh, to design. So I got to ask you guys like, Hey, uh, what radio are you guys currently using? Cause we, I was using a, a prick one seven, seven back in the day. And I don't know what the fuck you guys are using now. Same thing on the other end. Um, you know, you, you would ask me about certain designs on pants and, Hey, what's one of your favorite, uh, you know, fleeces or, or whatever. And, and then, you know, kind of picking it apart because, uh, Frank, you, you wear a, a lightweight, uh, basically it's a Merino nylon, I mean, hoodie. I yeah, mean, it's pretty basic shirt, shirt hoodie. And you do that. Why? What's the biggest re I mean, I know why, but everybody why you like that so much i like wearing like a hood when i need it keep the ears warm <laughs> head warm just always wear the hood and, and you know we're at 12 13 000 feet the sun you know blocks the sun from sun and wind. Yep. wind um not like groundbreaking but is it amazing some of those different things that people or out or or outdoor clothing companies maybe maybe miss and not just the i mean it's easy to make a, a shirt with a hood the fit of it some of the function and the layering system how one layer fits over the other why one layer? Like there's certain times I see somebody make a, a specific layer and they'll put zippers in certain spots or pockets in certain spots. And it's like, well, that's a kind of a mid layer. What the hell do you have all that shit on it for when you got something going over the top of it generally, especially with backpack hunting where we're going in from 10 to 14 days with, you know, if we're lucky, 65 pounds on our back for six, seven, eight, nine, you know, miles, however far it is. 
it may not seem important that you have some zippers on a, a layering system, but if you can cut that out and it's not needed, generally those things are designed by guys that haven't gotten their ass kicked, you know, doing it. I mean, you want to be able to cut weight where you need or add weight where you need it. And if you're doing it ass backwards where they're, they're cutting weight where you need it and you're adding it where you don't, you have a, you have a flawed system. Um, and I think you figure out those flawed systems, I would say, me personally and Frank, you, is by getting, you know, bent over the coals by Mother Nature and uh, sucking, you know, wind on the way in. Because, I mean, I don't know, altitude-wise, for example, I don't, Bear, what's the highest uh, altitude you've worked at? Uh, I think the highest I was, was about 14,000 feet. We were doing some stuff out in Breckenridge, and we did like a, a couple overnights. Um, up on the mountain and, and that shit sucked. It was in January, a big snowstorm <laughs> rolled in. Brutal. So those are, those are situations where, you know, the, the gear gets exposed if you don't have the right stuff. I, actually, it was kind of funny because sometimes you learn the hard way. We had these little gas stoves, right? You know, so we had about them all packed and, you know, you boil the Nalgene water, you throw it between your legs. We, 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 we learn all that shit. But we learned the hard way that above 13,000 feet, that gas does not burn Ooh, as well, not right? That there's well. actually like a high altitude gas and, <laughs> and no one was tracking that. So we're all up on the mountainside. It's like the middle of the fucking night. We're trying to get warm. We're trying to boil water so we can, you know, warm our freaking, uh, you know, feet up and shit. And it's taking 45 minutes to boil an out. You know what I mean? You're just sitting there like freezing your balls off. And then finally, like we came down the mountain a few days later and we, we debriefed it and realized, Hey motherfuckers, there's, there's, there's a whole nother gas. It's, it's a different color canister. If you're going above 13 K, you get this and it burns just fine. And we're all like, Oh shit. Well, um, so that's just one example of like, you know, learn the hard way. Um, but, but if, if, if you test it in the field, like you're never going to make that mistake again. Um, and I think that's, that's the same thing with gear, right? Like you're, you're if you did a freaking 10 day hunt, Aaron, and there was some zipper in some really annoying spot and it was rubbing you for 10 days, like where your rucksack, you know, strap was, you would know, okay, we're never, you know, doing that again. Right. Cause, and, and that's, it's, we got to apply that kind of methodology to everything we develop. One of the other things like you bring up that not maybe not just irritating you, but one of the general rules of thumb that we've, you know, kind of promoted or taught, you know, if, you know, you've done three trips, empty everything out in your backpack. If there's things in that pack minus first aid that you have not used, why, why is it in your backpack? Well, if I've looked at a pocket for three months and I've never put anything in it, why the fuck is that pocket on my shirt or on my fleece or on whatever? Because I've already, I've paid for the pocket because I got charged to sew it on, you know, like I didn't, you know what I mean? From the manufacturer, they, they, they paid somebody and obviously not, you know, somebody might use that pocket, but if it's something that just doesn't make any sense, adds weight, adds cost, you know, why is it there? And that's kind of same, same principle. I mean, I, I, I looked at as well as Frank, um, you know, you don't want things in certain places cause it, it's two things, it's weight and it's money and, and money's a big deal. I mean, it doesn't, it's not cheap, uh, to make any of this. Um, and, and so if you can cut three bucks off of a, a product from the, the, the ground level, um, you know, that then there's margin and markup, things like that. It saves quite a bit of money. So I don't want to pay for pockets I don't need. And I certainly don't want to pack them around. So couple of things to look at and things that you guys have, have asked me about it, it, it at times. You know, we have a friend uh, um, on the West Coast who called me, I don't know, last winter and they were buying sleeping bags, uh, you know, and I get, um, you know, different, you know, uh, whatever um, groups of people that will call me to run specific gear, like you talked about the stove, like sleeping bags. 
they were asking me questions about those and layering systems and what should they use. And then the budget came into effect of what they had to fit that specific training um, op or whatever, uh, the budget they had for that. And I'm like, yep, just be prepared to fucking suffer because that is not enough. You guys are going to be cold. I don't know what to tell you. Yep. You probably have to deal with that as, as well or have in the, in the past, I would assume. Yeah, yeah, same idea. You know what I mean? And that's, that's you know, we talked about the, the kind of gear discrepancies earlier, and that, that has, you know, definitely shown itself in big. If you have the wrong rated sleeping bag, um, <laughs> it's going to be a long night. We, I think we've all been there, but, but you know, you know if, you, if you don't have other ways to warm yourself up, like, you know, boiling algae and stuff like that, yeah, you're going to be in a world of hurt. And if you're going to be out there for a few more days, you're going to, you're going to, you know, wake up the next morning and have gotten zero sleep. And then you're, you're even more behind and more compromised. You know? So yeah, it, it's, it's important you go out there with good shit. That's for sure. Well, and it's, it's amazing. We, uh, we had Matt on Chan. Um, and we talked about him a few minutes ago. Matt is a super good dude. And you know, he's, I, I you know, you can't rank a guy for toughness, but the dudes obviously, you know what I, I think he took what, second in the CrossFit Games in 2013 or 12 or something? And I mean, the guy's a freak of nature. When he was on here, he, I think he said that was the first time he admitted publicly he did an outdoor type of an adventure race. And he said he quit and it was the most painful thing he'd ever done in his life. Um, he, he literally just said he folded up like a cheap suit, like he couldn't take it anymore. So there's different kind of levels of toughness. Like, if you threw me in the CrossFit games, I would be so worried that I, I mean, when I say worried, it would be an embarrassment. Now I consider myself a, a relatively tough individual with, with mental discipline, but I can see Frank on the sideline recording just so he can make fun of me later. <laughs> um, but if I took CrossFit guys and put them, I don't know, Frank, what's a good scenario? Seven miles in, 65 pounds, a storm comes in. There's a knowledge base in that, meaning they are probably tough enough to handle anything up until the point now all their clothing are, is wet and they don't know how to dry it. Or, you know, like you talked about the gas, they have the wrong gear. And so you have to, as you mentioned, toughness only lasts for so long. And the tougher you are, you can last longer. But without knowledge base and time on the ground or what's Barclow call it, uh, knowledge from storms, something like that, you don't have that you're going to end up sucking wind. And, and if you're designing products, you are certainly not going to be designing the best product that's applicable for, for what you're doing. If you don't have somebody behind it, that that's actually done it, you know, quite a bit. Um, it, I, I'm running at the mouth here, but I would, um, you know, I would say that that probably happens at certain times tactically with the way you guys kind of procure your gear may not be the best guy in the world you know, buying it, or you may not have the budget for it. And then you guys probably end up suffering much like, you know, back in the day when Frank and I were poor, we had crappy gear. You might make it, but you're not going to make it nearly as happy as you would with, with better gear. And I, you didn't, you made it on your, your trip when you were out here at 14,000 feet. How much would that trip have improved with someone there to tell you ahead of time that you guys were fucking up? How much, would, how much better would, would the trip have been or more comfortable? Yeah, hundred percent. I mean, that, that's everything, and you know, little shit like you know the gas you're burning, the rating you're still sleeping back, the the fabrics. The, you know, you know how critical that is. Like, it, you know, the difference between like a a, mari- a, a merino wool based fabric versus something else. Um, you know, just all that all that shit rolls into just the overall experience, and, and, and the only way to get savvy on that is to is to, to be out there in the field. You know, what I mean, there's no other way. Um, you can't you can't draw it up in a boardroom. It's, it's got to be done in, um, out in the field, and it's got to be tested. 
Um, and, uh, and you know, that's ultimately what we're trying to do pretty much in anything, anything we get into, whether it's outdoor apparel, military apparel, fitness apparel, leisure apparel, it's gotta be tested and it's gotta be at least run through some people that are are subject matter experts in that. Because if, if it's not like you're just setting yourself up for failure and there's going to be no credibility because the people that actually wear it, um, are going to be the ones that are doing it for this specific purpose. You know what I mean? They're, they're going to be able to sniff that out, you know, so fast. Yeah. So. I mean, uh, it seems like you guys are looking at, um, and it may be, you know, executing, um, you know, some of the stuff into the, the outdoor world and the tactical community. I mean, and you don't have to dive into that too much, but that's something it seems like you, you guys are looking into or maybe, maybe executing. Um, is that, uh, is that the case? And I mean, is that something that, um, uh, you know, from the way it sounds and obviously some of the questions you guys have asked me, um, might be a direction you guys are going. Yeah, yeah, I, I don't want to uh, spoil the fun too quick, but but uh, you know, I'll I'll just say that it's definitely an area that um, you know we're really excited about. Um, kind of like you know the points we mentioned uh, earlier, but um, I think there's there's a lot of opportunity, um, and and it's also fun for me because you know we we've been so focused on you know kind of fitness and CrossFit apparel, and then eventually kind of a bunch of athleisure apparel that's done really well, but it's not like, now like all right, what's next? You know, what I mean, what what else can we? Um, you know, achieve and, and how do we continue to grow the company? Um, so, but, but for me, it's a little bit about almost like a hobby, you know, designing a pair of military pants or military top is, is enjoyable because you get to get the dudes together and, 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 and kind of talk through the different features you want. You know, for example, if it's a pair of pants, like, you know, we were on deployment, we had, a, we had a, you know, we were up on the whiteboard being like, all right, let's design the perfect pair of pants. You know what I mean? Or just dicking around, you know, throwing stuff on the board and then eventually kind of got it whittled down into, okay, this is what it looks like. You know, for, for people that actually wear these for a living, this is what it looks like. Um, and, uh, and that's exciting. Um, uh, so yeah, we'll, we'll stay tuned. Um, but, uh, you know, I think 2022 is going to bring some new things. No, that's, that's cool. And I, I would say, you know, if you bring up pants, I would say probably that's the most, it's gotten to be out almost, um, a joke on, uh, my Q and A's, what pants are you wearing? I mean, people made memes about it. Um, we're Frank and I both are constantly trying out new pants. And to me, the perfect pair of pants is the pants I can wear to Walmart, uh, you know, to, uh, you know, whatever, run in and grab uh, a couple kombuchas and, and well, I don't know, whatever, some bread. Uh, and then I can hike up the side of a mountain and fit in and both, both sides of things. This is on the outdoor world side, meaning I don't want to hike up the trail. And honestly, I don't want to look like a hunter. Not that I'm embarrassed of being a yep. hunter, an outdoorsman, but it's also a money saving thing. I, don't see a need to wear camo pants. Um, I just never, never have. Frank, you, Frank has kind of a half ghillie suit he wears up top. Um, at money, I don't want to have to buy two pairs of pants. I want to be able to wear one pants to the archery range and then, you know, at the same time, hit the woods, right, with the, with the same set. And, you know, that's, that's material and function, right? That's what that pant offers and the material it offers. So, again, camo is not important to me, neutral, you know, um, you know, type of colors, whatever you want to call it, more earth tone type colors, more than enough. And that, that's kind of the perfect set of pants for, for me. Um, and, and I would, Frank, I mean, kind of dive into that. Yeah, I, mean, I think I've seen that in the last couple of years. Is, you know, this, a lot of this technical clothing is very expensive and you kind of want to get your money's worth out of it. So if you can wear it both on the mountain or around town, it, it kind of makes more sense or, uh, to, to the everyday guy that they can, they can use their gear not only on the mountain, but year round, if, 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 if at all possible, it is a big investment for a lot of this, this more technical clothing. So getting the full use out of it is pretty important to your average Joe. 
and that's whether you're, you know, fighting, you know, um, when I say fighting, whatever you're, you're, you're working in the outdoors, whether you're a timber cruiser, you're a game warden, uh, you know, your border patrol, uh, you're a hiker, you're a hunter, you're a fisher, you're whatever. Yeah, you know, you can design a pant that works for all those. I don't know how many there are out there. I'm I'm constantly on the search, but it can't. I think it can be done. Um, you know, I think a lot of companies do design um, a lot of different stuff to take. I hate to say this, more money from you. Um, we're really a two pant system, minus obviously Arctic, you know, crazy conditions. Can do anything you want, and if those two pants can be worn to uh, the gym. Um, I'm one of those guys that, that I may get made fun of. I do wear hiking pants and mountaineering boots to the gym sometimes because I'm in a hurry <laughs> and I don't give a shit. And so, you know, I'm not going to go over there and deadlift, you know, whatever, try to deadlift six, 700 pounds with mountaineering boots, but I'll have my hiking boots on, get a quick workout in, and the pants are comfortable enough that, you know, I can do, you know, you know pull-ups, push-ups, a little, you know, some air squats, no issues. You know, you don't want to look like a ding dong too many times in the gym with uh, hiking pants on. But who's the guy that wears the boots? Uh, powerlifter Jay Cutler. Oh yeah, yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. He's a he's a bodybuilder. Yeah, he's a machine. But I, I mean, that to me, and in some of the questions you guys have asked me, is like, that's what I want. You know, I want to, um, you know, one one of the some of the more fleece tops. I want to be able to throw that fleece top on and say, hey, honey, I'm running down to the grocery store. Uh, and then my buddy called me and say, Hey dude, I got a mountain lion. I got a track. Let's go hit it. And I don't have to go back home. I got what I need. And, and that's important to me. And, and in Frank's system, you know, Frank, you don't wear a ton of camo. You wear it some, but like in high country mule deer, um, Frank's been very successful with that. This little pecker would put this half, uh, ghillie suit top on Christ on a cracker. I could not find him. And you could have worn those same clothes under that little ghillie top to the grocery store. And, and then, you know, snuck in and shot a, uh, an amazing mule deer with the same, same clothing with a extremely lightweight. I mean, you know, all about ghillie suits bear. I mean, you don't, for bow hunting, you don't have to, you're not a sniper doing thousand yard low crawls, right? You just have to have basically from your chest up camo. Um, I mean, I don't think I've ever had a deer look at my legs and bounce out. Right. I mean, they're, they're looking at your upper body. So. <laughs> Maybe if you're wearing shorts. Yeah. My, yeah. Dude, I got some white legs. I'll send a picture. No homo. Um, <laughs> I literally, you, I could, I could flag Frank in with my leg, leg to the right and left. They are, they have not seen sun since uh, Reagan was in office. Probably pretty bad. Um, but yeah, I, I, I'm, I'm, I'm running at the mouth a little bit. But I mean, that's kind of the direction you guys. It seems like are wanting to go um, with with some of the the, the new. Um, you know, ventures you're, you're kind of tackling from, from what I've heard from you. So it, it will definitely be, uh, you know, ex- exciting to see. And as an entrepreneur, that's really got to excite you. I would, I would think. Yeah. hundred percent. You know, the whole color thing, like you, you hit the nail on the head. Like we don't, we don't need to do a bunch of crazy camos. You know, you, you're always safe with like the coyote pan, kind of the OD green, like the, 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 the grays, you know, it's always safe. Uh, and then, yeah, you don't look like a freaking dickhead going to the store wearing, whatever, you know, camo pattern, <laughs> so you're trying to go get a dozen eggs. And I think same thing on the military side, I think, you know, it, it, it'd be nice to be, be able to wear stuff outside of work. Um, and not everyone would know, yeah, that, that guy's in the military. It's blatantly obvious. Um, and, uh, and, and then, you know, we, I think we could have a whole nother freaking podcast on the cost of some of this shit, um, which is another reason why I'm very interested in it because I, I see some of the pricing on this, some of this stuff. And it's like, man, these companies are getting away with murder. 
Um, you oh. know, if you're, if you're charging $580 for a pair of pants, like that's absolute insanity. You know, um, like in Arcteryx, you keep raising it to see what you can get away with. And, and a lot of these companies have huge government contracts. You know, they've, they've profited from the war on terror since, you know, nine 11. Um, and have, you know, they're selling fucking, I don't know, hundreds of thousands of pants and then, Oh, well they're normally 580. So we're going to give you to the government for two ninety, you know, $299. So it seems like they're getting a deal and it's like, Holy shit. Um, it's, it's, it's crazy. So we're, I think we can, we can do some good there, make it a little bit more affordable. Um, and, and then multi-purpose, like you said, so, so you can wear it more than just, um, you know, in the field. Well, uh, I, 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 sorry about that. Kind of interrupt you. I, I just, when you were talking about the price in Arcteryx Naga hoodie, so how much is the hoodie and how much is that an emblem? The emblem's probably worth quite a bit uh, because that fucker's yep. like $220. Now, it's a great hoodie. I've talked about it before. How many people on planet Earth can afford to go buy a couple Arcteryx, not a $220 fucking hoodie? And it's, yep. it's great and I like it, but the reality is, and I'm not going to, you know, I like the hoodie and I certainly don't want to get any letters from Arcteryx, but I'm like, Jesus, how much did it cost to make this damn thing? And how much am I paying for this little Arcteryx logo? And uh, it, it is um, uh, mind blowing, I guess, you know, at times where I look at some of these things and um, it, 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 it seems a little bit out overpriced, um, you know, great, great gear. I'm not saying that at all, but um, you know, kind of like what you talked about, especially on your guys' side of the fence. I don't know what you guys pay. What uh, uh, the same company, Sphinx Pants? I think they were like seven hundred bucks at one time or something. And I tell you what, if I wore seven hundred dollar pants, they better make me run under a four six forty. Um, they better have that. Uh, they better have that bulge padding. Yeah, they need to make my cock look at least twice the size it is. <laughs> oh shit! But yeah, uh, yeah. Go ahead. It, it's a, it's a good point because like, you know, and I, I think some companies and brands, they and, and I think, you know, I, I think our tariff thing's great here. You know what I mean? I'm not going to throw shit on them. I mean, they're established companies are killing it. Um, and, uh, you know, so good to go there, but I think some companies deliberately will overprice their, their products because price psychologically communicates quality in your mind. Right. So if you, you know, you go to the car lot and there's a hundred thousand dollar Range Rover, you're like, Oh, that, that must be a nice car because it's a hundred thousand dollars. But, in reality, Range Rovers freaking suck. You know what I mean? They're pricing it to communicate quality, but it, the quality actually doesn't match up on the back end. Um, that's why they're like the, one of the worst reviewed cars. Like every year in Consumer Reports, it gets like a freaking D minus. Um, yet people will go spend 130 grand on a Range Rover because they want to wear, you know, the you know they want to be repping, you know, a fancy brand so they can, you know, kind of show them I'm a somebody, right? And I think that happens with apparel, you know. Um, you know, we sell like our, our, our female leggings, like for like between you know, around 65 bucks when some of our competitor brands are selling the exact same legging for 130, right? It's the same product. Um, but it, it's, it's just that, that price, that price psychology that if, if, if I just jack the price up, people will assume quality. Um, and, uh, and it's just, so, I mean, I think we could spend hours talking about that, but, but I see that in the, in the outdoor and in military space as well. And it kind of just, it fires me up a little bit, honestly. No, and I mean, one of your competitors um, starts with an L and ends in a lemon. Um, <laughs> I've had, because uh, I've, um, you know, my wife, Mackenzie, some of the girls here, um, you know, other, other, other women I know that, that, that um, I've kind of introduced to Born Primitive um, have made the comment that these are half the price and last twice as long. And I don't know 
shit about leggings. Obviously, uh, if I did, Frank would already have made fun of me. But um, <laughs> people that wear them, you know, have mentioned that to me, and I'm like, oh, that's cool. You know, I I don't know that means I'm glad. Yay! Obviously, you guys are doing a good, you know, great job. But then I did kind of hop on some of those websites, and I'm like, okay, same thing. You're paying. 58 to 65 bucks for the actual product and you're paying another 58 to 65 bucks for the logo. And I, you know, I, I get it. Um, but if you can actually quantify what that thing costs and kind of break it down, it is kind of kicking the ding ding to the consumer. You know, if you knew what it, what it actually, <laughs> what it actually costs and what you're, what you're paying and maybe not getting, you know, the, the, the best product in the world. So, and I, I would imagine, like you said, this is a whole nother podcast. You got to deal with that on a, on a daily basis in the, athleisure athletic side of things but yeah and i think you know the the capitalist in me like i got to give them credit right like if, if you can get away with selling something for way more than it should be sold that, that's a that's a sign that you have a really strong brand right so and there's nothing wrong with that i mean shit you know i'm as capitalist as they come um but you know i think when you break it out and it's like okay well how many how many consumers are now unreachable because of that price point um, you know what I mean? Um, that's, that's where I think there's opportunity to kind of have something, you know, still super premium product, but it, you know, you don't need to be making like a freaking crazy margin on it. Um, you know, you, you can still make a good money and you can still, you know, have a good living, uh, but you don't need to be bending people over to, you know, <laughs> to buy a pair of leggings or a pair of uh, outdoor pants. You know what I mean? Yeah. Oh yeah, for sure. And we get kind of lumped into that sometimes, but I, you know, I think people forget like, uh, you know, we're, we're all made here. And so it, it's, it's, uh, it's, it's, you know, if you, if you try to make, and we get questions all the time about, um, you know, clothing made in the USA and, and people have to understand it, it might be semi feasible to do, I would say. I mean, there's some companies I think that are, you know, sewing it in the, in the U S the, the, the problem with, um, you know, you and I talked about the, the problem isn't necessarily just the sewing. So, I mean, it's the quality, but it's also the material. Um, you, you, it's not here. Um, unfortunately you, you can't, I mean, you can kind of pick and choose and find some stuff, but to have a, a total, you know, high end upper echelon elite line, we just don't have those fabrics in the United States. And so, you know, things that, that I've brought to people like, you know, maybe at some point in time you could do that, but it's very difficult to do now. And I, I mean, when I say difficult, almost impossible to have, um, the most elite high tech, high end line made in the United States, uh, because the fabric is not here. You may have, you know, people cheat the system and they'll throw a flag on something that's like 25, 30%, maybe, you know, parts and pieces sewn together here. And, uh, you know, we, we are here with packs. It's a little bit different because the, you know, we make it out of Cordura and I don't really have to mess with many other fabrics, but with clothing, you're not going to get a uh, three layer laminate rain gear made in the United States, uh, because we don't have that fabric made in the United States, all made overseas. And so, you know, that's one thing I try to shed light to people is if it's made overseas, it's really the price you need to worry about. If it's a quality product made overseas, um, you know, I, I get it because, uh, and, you know, and the, and the price is applicable, it's when it's made overseas and it's a quality product and the price is astronomical. That's when I kind of, you know, I get a little bit worried and I'm sure you, you, you know, your guys' stuff is extremely affordable. Um, you, you, you can't, you don't want to gouge people if you're getting a really good deal on it overseas, sewn in fabrics, and then bring it over here and mark it up seven, eight hundred percent. You know, it's not fair to the consumer, and those are things I, I look at every day, I guess. Yeah, one hundred percent. Yeah, and that, that, the whole sourcing the USA thing is a is a whole other podcast. But 
yeah, you hit the nail on the head. It's just the, the variety of fabrics and just the ability to make, you know, a, a wide variety of gear is very difficult. And that's something I've had to wrestle with since we started, you know, cause I'm, you know, I'm, I'm a very pro America guy. Um, but when, when you start get, you know, striking out, trying to find stuff in the U S um, and there's just not the variety and, or the price is five X what you pay overseas. It's, it's, it's difficult. Um, and that's, that's something where, you know, it's, it's a constant challenge for us. Oh yeah, I'm, I'm sure. And I, and I mean, you know, we deal with it too. Like, um, uh, you know, guys, like I would, I would buy your pack, um, you know, but it, it's just, you know, I, I don't hunt that often, you know, or, you know, whatever. So I don't need that quality of pack. And it's like, well, you're also supporting kind of like you said, uh, you, you know, the patriotic, you know, people behind the brand. And so it, it is a so totally separate podcast that I shouldn't dive into because I don't, you know, we'll be on here for seven hours, but I, I, again, I think if the price is applicable, um, you know, the, the, the material is good and everything else. And we had a podcast with somebody else recently where we talked about that. Um, you know, we've had people, oh, you're American made, but you're using a phone made overseas. And it's like, well, there was an American made phone. I'd, I'd use one if it was just as good. Yeah, exactly. You know? <laughs> so, <laughs> give me, give me an American iPhone. I'm in. Yeah. Oh yeah, exactly. So it's kind of a strange deal, but you know, I, I think that, uh, maybe as time goes on and Actually, that would be one thing before we hop off here. I'd, I'd be curious to get your, uh, you know, thoughts on this. There's been a lot of hubbub and talk recently about, you know, things shifting just because of the current state of affairs in the world and the United States, trying to bring more things back in the U.S. Um, as much as possible. You think that's going to happen? Because that's going to take a pretty big investment from a lot of different companies, especially on the, the textile you know, so you know, nobody's teaching home ec anymore. I mean, on the textile sewing side of things, you think that's gonna? You think you're you're ever gonna see that happen? I don't know. I mean, I I don't think I'm I'm knowledgeable enough to even comment credibly on that. Um, I, I would hope so. Obviously, it's 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 an incredible opportunity when you look at how much shit is outsourced in our country. If we could find a way to get it in house. Um, and, and pump all that money into, into our economy and, and jobs like that would be absolutely massive. I just, I don't know how the way kind of shit is this, everything's structured. Um, that right now it's just, it's such an obvious play to, to outsource a lot of what you're making. Um, because you, you just can't get it. You know what I mean? And so until like the, the capability is there, it's, it's, a, it's an, it's an automatic no deal. So shit, I, I don't know. I hope so though. Maybe that's what like you and your crew and me and mine, we could start the build back better program that actually works and makes sense. I, you went yeah, to Yale. Yeah, I mean, and, I, mean <laughs> I think it's feasible. Like I think, you know, there's a lot of business, like actually Lululemon was one that's brilliant in this is that they, they kind of controlled every, every component of the business security. They owned their own production. So, you know, in theory you could be like, all right, I'm, I'm going to invest a bunch of money, buy all the machines. We're going to do it right here in Virginia, Virginia Beach, right? Um, I think that's possible. Um, it's just, you know, getting into the production side is a whole nother, whole nother beast, right? Um, you know, we're kind of in the game of like marketing and like, you know, <laughs> you know, creating demand for the product. But when you, as soon as you undertake production, now it's a whole nother business, you know, that, that you have to oversee. Um, but I, I do in theory think it's possible. I just think it would be a, it would be a huge undertaking and it'd be a little bit of a leap at the end of the beginning. But I think if you could do it, um, you know, at efficiencies, then it would, there would be huge benefits on the back end because then you kind of control your own output. Um, and obviously right now we're dealing with a huge supply chain issue. So this would be times where it would be really good to own your own production. Yeah. Well, I can tell you, um, uh, two guys sitting at this table that, that, um, have our hands, uh, on the helm, um, keeping things made here. It's a pain in the ass. Um, 
and, and I'm not complaining. Um, I, I'm it's just it it's a pain. Um, and, and you know the supply chain thing, obviously, I think may catch up at some point in time where maybe the price of things, you know, uh, you know, certain things specifically, I guess, might might catch up to where, um, you know, bringing it overseas might 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 uh, equal up in, in certain things that are applicable to make here. Um, might swing swing things back. It's just it's hard to tell. I've I've listened to a few podcasts recently talking about it, and it, it's a it's a lofty goal. It's great to think about it and be awesome if it happens. But you know the the one of the bottom lines is if it is made as good or better overseas with better textiles. I mean, it's going to be hard to bring back here. And 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 you know you dealing with the clothing line and and me obviously on the design side of things. Um, you know. I, I'm like, man, I, I, we don't, we, we, we don't have American made. We don't sell it. We're, we're all American made here except our t-shirts and hats. Well, there's a reason we can't find one worth of shit made in America. Now there may be out there, but I, I mean, you know, I've gotten a little bit of dings if, you know, people have brought that up and it's like, look, bro, we have, we, we chose the best clothing we could and it was not from the U.S. because it's not made as well here. And if we did find someone, the big question is, does somebody want to pay $49 for a T-shirt? That's the next question. So, yay, we got it made here, but now nobody's buying it because it's a $49, $50 T-shirt. And uh, this is on the, you know, the business side of things, obviously, but you, know, you being an entrepreneur, are you going to buy a $29 T-shirt or a $50 T-shirt, t-shirt that are identical? Some guys are going to choose, yep, I'm going to spend my money in America. I, I'd say, Frank, I don't know what you think. Most people always go for, I would say 90% go for the cheaper option if it's of applicable you know, quality. Which, I mean, I don't know, Bear, Frank, both of you guys, I mean, what do you think? Yeah, 100%. I mean, I think it's a tough sell. I, I definitely don't get mad when people you know, you know, try to bust our balls about it because I, I get it. Like if, if I was not in the apparel space, and was just a regular consumer, and I saw that I, I probably would be the same, say the same thing because I'm as, as American as they come. But when you actually get in the space and you kind of understand how it works and, and the, the realities of it, it, it's a totally different perspective. So, um, yeah, I mean, I, I think I think it'd be great to get there. But to your point, it's like, yeah, okay, well, when, when, let me call your bluff. Are you going to spend fifty bucks on that same tri-blend T-shirt that you could have got for twenty-five or thirty? Um, some might, but I think most wouldn't, and that's where the argument breaks down, unfortunately. Yeah, definitely. Well, man, we're just we're just over an hour here. I don't want to suck up too much of your time today, but um, man, where where can people, uh, you know, the website, uh, you know, the uh, social media things like that, as far as Born Primitive, uh, where can they check it out? Yes, yeah, it's real simple. It's bornprimitive.com. Um, and then yeah, Instagram, Facebook, all that good stuff, just at born primitive. So, um, check us out. You know, we're mainly kind of fitness and athleisure apparel right now. We've been around for about eight years. Um, and, uh, we're slowly starting to dabble into, into some other verticals. Um, so, you know, keep an eye on 2022. I think it's going to be a fun year. Um, and, uh, we're, yeah, we're just getting started. Gotcha. So anybody that hops on there, I can highly recommend, um, you know, I'm, I don't, uh, our buddy actually, if he listens to this, it is, it is a struggle for me that to, uh, there is a, what's the word? I can't believe the demand for those super high and tight <laughs> jean shorts. 
<laughs> yeah, the, the, the jorts. Yeah, so if you're if you're coming on to get one product, that's you can't go wrong with the, the stretchy jorts. I, I hate to. This is crazy to admit this, but that is our number one selling product in the entire company. Is a pair of stretchy frayed jean shorts. Maybe it's because um, my legs are white. I literally I made those. Pair, I just have a hundred pairs. I figured I would probably sell ten of them and give the other ninety to my buddies. Um, <laughs> and it's uh, it just totally took on a life of its own. Uh, now we have them in like you know woodland camo, and we have like a khaki version and a black pair, and it's just gotten ridiculous. Um, but, uh, but it's crazy. I mean, you, 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 you joke now, but until you get them and feel like what it feels like on your, kind of on your balls and you get to, you know, you can go work out in them. That's the thing. It's like basically a pair of compression shorts that is denim that you can get away with and you just look like an, an, an absolute <laughs> like clown, but it's good to go. So yeah, for, for those out there that are a little more bold, I would say if you're going to get one product on, on the men's side, that's the one. Yeah, I would strongly disagree. Uh, maybe it's because my legs are so white. Uh, your hoodies, uh, the long sleeve t-shirts, and then the um, you know the the, the synthetic long sleeve t-shirts, the hoodies, uh, your workout shorts. I, I think I have two different pairs of those that are not the uh, the high end tight nut huggers. Um, I, I haven't had a bad uh, bad product from you guys. Uh, you know, on the on the on the on the on the male side of things, I haven't tried the jorts yet. Maybe if I hit the sun, you know, so get a little bit of a tan. Yeah, get him um, a pair of jorts. We need to see Aaron in some jorts and a flatty. Yeah, we're going to make that happen. We're going to make that happen. Uh, I don't know. Anyway, um, well, there you go, guys. Get jorts and one of their hoodies. Both, uh, All of the products are pretty good. And you guys obviously um, appreciate everything uh, you knew, you know, you do as well as, as your crew, uh, you know, in all, all walks of life. It's uh, if, uh, Appreciate everything. Appreciate your service. And uh, definitely thank you for coming on the podcast. Hell yeah, guys. Well, hopefully, um, hopefully some of that was interesting. I appreciate you having me. Um, and, uh, yeah, let's do it again, maybe in 2022, maybe when there's a little bit more to talk about of, uh, kind of things we hit on. Uh, definitely, definitely. Well, all right, everybody. Thanks for tuning in. Check, check out Born Primitive. Uh, yeah, have a good day.